You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak with Kelly Giordano about how to be a better leader in business and how strategy can help your business be more successful. Kelly Giordano is the founder and CEO of Avenue Equestrian. Her equestrian journey started at age six, riding at a hunter-jumper barn in New Jersey. Horses remained her passion throughout college, but she took a break for her career. A thoughtful gift got her back in the saddle, reigniting her love for riding. She saw an opportunity to blend horses and strategy. In 2021, she left a startup to focus on Avenue Equestrian, also joining Aureliano Equestrian, managing show barns and shaping winning strategies. Kelly balances her work with her continued love for horses. She has two horses that she competes with as an amateur, Crosby, a five-year-old retired racehorse, and Donnie, a five-year-old Oldenburg, who is her heart horse. Kelly's career spans e-commerce, fashion, and tech giants like IBM, honing skills in sales, marketing, and operations. At Avenue Equestrian, she guides equestrian businesses through strategic clarity from marketing plans to data-driven financial goals. With a background in education, public policy, sociology, and business, Kelly crafts holistic strategies for growth and innovation. She's collaborated across industries, driving transformative change through creativity and human-centric solutions. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, We're excited to talk to you and learn more about what you do and how you help people. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. So um, kind of going into the first question and um, knowing, you know, that you have a consulting business that helps people. Um, can you talk about the types of businesses you typically work with? Yeah, absolutely. So I work with a lot of different kinds of businesses at all stages of maturity is, is how I kind of like to put it. So everybody from someone launching their business for the very first time, and they just have a concept and we want to bring it to market all the way to some really established brands that have been a part of the equestrian industry for a really long time. And I have a different offer for each one of those, just because I feel like the level of support needed at each different stage is really, uh, it can be really different, right? Somebody who's starting out needs a different level and different skill set than a business that's looking to grow and scale and and reach, you know, a million dollars, $5 million, those kinds of things. And um, what's the biggest challenge you see in equestrian businesses? I think for many that are at the earlier stages, people treat it as a passion. And that is something that's really unique to, I think, the equestrian industry. Many of us have followed our passion for horses and to be close to something that we love. And we treat it as such and not like a business. And that can just really lead to things getting a little more tangled up or, you know, you're a couple years into the business and not really, you've not really established the business practices that will let you be successful. And so that's where I love to sort of intercept that as early as possible to make sure that the people I'm working with are viewing it as a business that they're very passionate about, but not just as this fun thing that they one day found themselves doing all the time. So I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges. Another one is pricing, and, and this is just a little bit part of the game as, as you're becoming a business person. Everybody underprices to start, and the quicker that you can get somebody in to say, no, you've got to raise your prices um, or price it to, to a place where you're profitable, I think is, is really important. Something else that I, I find specifically in the equestrian world is just a little bit of a, a lack of business acumen, um, understanding right a profit and loss sheet, understanding the proper channels of communication knowing how to negotiate, um, you know, managing a team. I think, again, people found themselves creating something out of a passion and they don't necessarily have the skills to run all areas of the business. And especially for startups and, and businesses that are really small, you're doing everything. And so having that rigor around business skills is 
really important. So those are some of the biggest challenges that I face. And I do a lot of coaching on that to make sure that they've got the skills or the support to kind of fill in the gaps where they don't have the skills. I think it's really interesting because lately I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and doing a lot of research about startup businesses and listening to people saying that the things that you need to have, because a lot of times these businesses are looking to be sold, right? So um, learning from them that, you know, experiences from people who have had these startups and sold them. What I've been listening to is saying, you know, you need to be organized in the beginning, make sure your books are in line, make sure that you have um, like your payroll in, Mm -hmm. in a position. And I think we never think about equestrian businesses being ones that can be sold, but I think that we should start, if we started implementing some of these things, I think it would make it a much cleaner business. Um, If they thought, Oh, wow. You know, in, uh, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, maybe even 50 years down the line, I might be able to pass this on to somebody who wants to come and buy the business, not just my facility, but like my entire business and my Mm -hmm. business model. And, you know, I think that if we could implement some of that into the equestrian world, I think it would make just a cleaner business. (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, you know, one of the things that I think is so critical is thinking about profitability and revenue. And the number of people that I talk to that don't know their numbers, they don't know how much they're bringing in, they don't know how profitable they are, they don't know what their top sellers are, whether it's a service or a product. And those are some of the things that A, lead to a successful business, but B, are the things that a potential buyer is most interested in. And so I I love the point that you're making is that if we sort of think about whether you want to or not, thinking about how can I position myself for a sale down the line? Those are the the top most important things, which also leads to a successful business. Yeah. And, you know, I was just reading last night too on um, one of the, the Facebook groups that I'm part of saying, you know, what the cost of canceling is. And it's amazing that people don't even think about that part of their business. Like as a, as a riding instructor or a barn owner, if somebody leaves the barn or, you know, cancels lessons or whatever, somebody sat down and actually added it up. And it was a big chunk of money, um, you know, for the cancellations. And so I think that definitely taking a peek at those kind of things will help you be more successful if you realize that, you know, there's a, that's like a pain point that you don't even think Mm -hmm. of. You're just like, oh, darn, you know, somebody canceled today or I had to cancel because my horse was lame or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's a very interesting things that you need to look at. Do you deal more with um, in the equestrian industry of people who are, who have companies that are making a product uh, or service or Do you, have you also dealt with people who have like a riding school or trainers and things like that? Yeah. So I do mostly with, you know, product and service based. So, you know, selling things on e-commerce, you know, online or in store, as well as photographers, uh, digital content creators and body workers. But I do also work for a facility based out of Long Island and I've helped them grow from a lesson program of 25 lessons a week to, I think now we're doing over 150 a week. And so really been a part of the growth there, which has been incredible. Uh, So I I do coach people across the board. A lot of my consulting work is in the product and service based, but I'll do some coaching sessions with people who are running equestrian facilities or wanting to create a business a little bit more hands-on in the riding and training world. Mm. And when I was doing some research and going through your website, you talked a little bit about um, coming in from like the leadership aspect. Is that Mm -hmm. something that you feel pretty passionate about um, in, in business? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm in the position I'm in because I've had the good fortune of having incredible leaders in my career. Um, You know, I, I say that starting my first job at IBM was the best I could have ever had because it was some of the smartest people in the world. And a lot of people really took the time to invest in me and teach me some of those leadership skills that I didn't appreciate then, but I so appreciate now. (laughs) And it's, you know, my career now is one of those really interesting things where it's like, oh, I'll never use these skills that I learned when I was 22. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm doing this stuff and I was like, this is wild. Um, So leadership is, is really important. And what I've been noticing, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this as well, is 
many businesses started during the pandemic, right? And so now we're coming up on the fourth year for many of these businesses and it's getting hard, right? Year one is super fun. You have no idea what's going on, but you have this idea you're passionate about. Year two, things are kind of moving and you're like, wow, this is great. And then year three, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm growing or I have to pivot or I've got these pain points that I didn't know about. And so we're at this interesting intersection where I think some businesses are going to make it through and thrive. And some businesses are going to kind of shut down just because it's, it's getting really hard. And what I'm noticing is that the ones that are really dedicated to pushing through and figuring this out are lacking a little bit in, in some of the leadership skills, right? Uh, the things that are going to really set the vision and propel a business forward. And it's not for lack of trying, right? It's just for lack of kind of exposure and seeing how important leadership is. It's not just running a business. It's not being the founder and the CEO, but it's really creating a container for big goals, even if they're scary, the sort of fortitude to go through and, and carry them through, but then also to, to truly build a business. And a lot of people right now are needing a team and managing and leading a team is a whole new skill set that I, I think is really, uh, it can be tough to figure out, especially while you're trying to, to run a business. And so this is something that recently I'm just noticing as a trend and, and I'm super, super passionate about it because leadership is just such a skill that's going to take you far and gets you through those really tough moments of whether it's entrepreneurship or growing your career in the industry or even switching careers. Yeah, I think, you know, talking about businesses that started in the pandemic or even businesses that had to change how they worked because of the pandemic, I think, you know, the leadership aspect um, changes when you have remote teams and, mm -hmm. you know, how do you how do you adjust and how do you be a good leader when you're not seeing people regularly uh, or you're only seeing them through a screen? And, um, you know, is that something that you've had to, you know, adjust when you're helping people? And um, how has that changed, do you think, um, since the pandemic? Yeah, I think, it's twofold, right? Because you're not seeing as, as the leader, you're not seeing the way that people work and then vice versa, your team is not seeing how you work all the time. And I, I think that was something that I so appreciated when I was in an office setting is that I could see, you know, the, the presidents and the vice presidents and the CEOs of my company and how they went through their day. And I was able to kind of pick up cues on that of how I should be working as an employee. Um, so there's a lot of different skill sets. And I, I think something that people want in this remote environment is to kind of be left alone. And yeah. it's, it's actually the opposite. We, we can't be left alone. And there are structures in place that can make it, make everybody's life easier, right? So a weekly standing meeting, I think is huge. Um, just to say, I need to see your face. We need to chat, even if you're doing great work or not doing great work. Um, and that's something that I require with a lot of my clients is I need to see your face and we need to sit down and, and have time together at least once or twice a week. And sometimes it's just a check-in to say, hey, what's going on? Sometimes they pop on and they look really stressed and I say, I'm going to let you go, right? But it lets me check in with them and see what's going on. Something else that people don't utilize often enough is a working session, especially when you're remote. So a lot of times when I have somebody I'm working with that is struggling to get their team to complete something or things keep popping up or it's dragging on and on and you're not able to hit a deadline, I put time on the calendar, 90 minutes, we're going to sit down and do it together. And it seems a little like painful or unnecessary because we all think we can fit more into a day than we can, but it's a great way to be really accountable and sit down and work together because also in a remote environment, we're missing a little bit of the collaboration. Yeah. And that is a huge piece of my role because I come in as a peer for my clients at, at whatever stage that they're in to brainstorm with them. Sometimes the leaders of these companies, whether they're a solopreneur or they're the only executive in their company, have no one else to talk to. And, it, and that can be really challenging. And so that's, again, the power of sitting down together, even if you're across the country, uh, to do work as you would in, in sort of a, a, an environment. And so sometimes in a leadership position, that means you've got to put meetings on the calendar that like people don't want to do. Too bad, right? We've got to get work done and we need to see each other and work as a team. And it's not a free-for-all just because we're working remote. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, though, because, like, from my perspective, well, I've worked in an office 
in several different situations, but the job that I have now is always been remote, completely remote. We have uh, a meeting once a month that the team gets together and meets at the beginning of the month and everybody goes and does their job, but we're sales. So we're on the road traveling all the time, you know? So it's it's a, it's not like I have to sit down at my job is very face to face, right? So it's not sitting down on the computer, getting a bunch of things done. I have to do an expense report. I have to do a mileage report and, you know, like, yes, I send emails to customers and, but we have inside sales reps. So, um, I think that, you know, you you do have to be self-motivated to do this kind of job though, right? Like you have to be ambitious and you have to know that, you know, you've got to do your job and you set your hours, but still like I, sometimes I work nights, sometimes I'm at dinners till 10 o'clock at night, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm working weekends. So, you know, it's, um, I think that it, it can be done, but I also think that, you know, like, uh, if you if you're so used to like being in an office, it would be a very hard transition, right? I transitioned yeah. out of an office to a farm manager for a year before I had this job, so mm-hmm. I wasn't used to sitting in, uh, in the office. But I think I would probably feel a little lost if I hadn't had like a transition period of oh, I'm not sitting mm. in front of a desk all day long, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too that's part of, of finding a, a leadership style or, or being a leader that's responsive and knowing the environment that you're in and knowing how your team works. And so that's one of the things too that I find is that a lot of my clients who are new to leadership want to do it perfectly. But the leaders that I find to be so successful are the ones that are going to do trial and error and admit when they're wrong, right? To say, okay, we need to meet once a week. And then you and your team using the example that you just shared, you'd be like, I don't have time for that, right? I need to be right. out and I'm looking out on client opportunities. And so then for that leader to say, okay, you know what? I was wrong. We're going to go back to the once a month because that's how, how that works. And so I think it's really important as a leader to be so flexible and to get to know how your your team, how they work as a whole, but then also how they how they work individually, right? Some people might want to meet once a week just for that accountability. And so you can be flexible and understand how individuals work as well. Yeah. And I also find it interesting because I see more and more um, in different groups, people posting for remote jobs in the equine industry. And I'm like, gosh, there's there's only so much remote stuff that's going to be available in the equine industry. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's interesting. A friend of mine the other day, she was like, I want a part-time remote job just to make a couple of extra bucks. And I started looking and I was like, gosh, I didn't even really think that that's really hard, right? Because so much of the horse part of it is is hands-on, managing barns. And there's so many jobs that exist that require you to physically be there with the horses. And as we grow some of these other entrepreneurial you know, endeavors or small businesses, that's fine. But also many of them can't always support a remote worker right away. And so uh, it, it is really interesting that I don't know that we're going to be a, a largely remote industry. Right. I know. And I see more and more people looking for those kind of things. And well, I think that we do need to evolve in some way using apps and having information, you know, like on your phones or available for horses. Like my parents are old school. They were never going to get on their phone and have an app that can show their horses vet records. They should because they'd be more organized, but they're never those, you know, they're not that people. And I think that the equine industry is very slow to adopt to some of those things. I mean, even I see more and more social media stuff going on, but that's been a slow process as well, right? Yeah. And, you know, the, the social media is is interesting to me and not that I think it's a hot take, but I think it's just a really low barrier to entry in terms of creating content. And I and struggling a little bit with some of the content creators just because they position themselves as a marketing person and social media creation is not marketing. And I think that's a little bit of a dangerous road to be going down. And I think there are people who are so skilled and could create beautiful images, but without a strategy behind it and without an intention and a purpose for how those are going to be used to promote the business. It's just a really flashy thing that is exciting. Gosh, we all love beautiful photos. And, um, but I find a lot of my clients at every level want to go invest in social media and that's not always the right place to invest. And so I, I think um, it can be a really great and lucrative job. And a lot of people have made some good careers out of it, but we really need more of those 
true marketing skills and the true business skills there. So um, a little bit of a tangent on that because just because you brought it up, but I, I just worry a little bit that we're conflating social media content and actual marketing strategies. Uh, and I think a lot of people turn to it because it's cheap, right? It's free. Oh, yeah. So that's why that's why they do it. And it's not not always super well thought out, you know, but you have people out there saying things like, oh, well, you know, any content is better than no content out there. And you're a little bit like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, truthfully, though. Right. Because if we think about the amount of time that we spend on it and what's what's the opportunity cost there. Right. What's not happening in the business because we're worried about creating social content. And that was something personally that I dipped into for my business over the summer is that I was just in a place I didn't need social. Social to me is a reinforcement of the work that I do. It's not really how I get a ton of business. I think people pay attention to, to what I'm doing there, but I do a lot through referral and I do a lot through my own networking face-to-face. And so I didn't post for, or at least post regularly for a long time. And it had zero impact on the success of my business. And so I always just challenge some of my clients to say, okay, what is the role of social in your business? I have another client where most of their business is done through their retail partners and very little. We look at we look at the data. Very little is coming from social media. So when we sit down and we have only X amount of hours in a day, we need to make sure that we're prioritizing how we're communicating with retail partners because that's the bulk of the business versus creating images for social media. Now, what's come out of that is we've really streamlined our social media process to make it very easy, knowing that we don't want to invest a lot of time in that because we have to invest our time elsewhere. And so these are some of the things where from a leadership perspective, right, you have to sometimes take a stand that's a little bit contrary to what you're seeing happening all over the place or what you're seeing other businesses do. You have to be able to say, no, this is what's right for my business, even if it looks like I'm doing something wrong or completely different or my team wants to go, you know, content creation can be really fun. It's exciting. It's the visual representation of your brand. It's way more sexy than sitting down and looking at a P&L. But you have to make those decisions as a leader and you have to guide your team to understand why and hold them accountable to doing the right things for the business. What What is your idea of a good leader? Like what skills do they have? What does that look like to you? Yes. So a good leader takes quick action. So they're not taking forever to make decisions. They know and understand the value of the information you get when, even if you make a wrong decision, right? So they do things really quickly. Very related to that is that they admit when they're wrong and they admit the same, that was the wrong decision. And then they have a solution for something different, right? They say, we're going to try this next. And so that's quick action. Again, they're able to pivot make decisions um, really easily in order to keep moving forward in the business. Something else that I think is really important is they know how to build a strong team and delegate. Most of the leaders, the good leaders that I know, are not the smartest person in the room. They are not doing all of the work. They have built a team of really, really smart and skilled people who they trust implicitly to do their jobs. And that is something that I really coach a lot of my clients on is I say, how can you go find the best person to do that job and let them go do it so that you can bring your attention elsewhere. And the best leaders that I've ever known in my life do that really, really skillfully. Um, Another thing from a, a good leader is that they are unafraid to make hard decisions. And it's not to say that they're not nervous to do it, but they're going to make the hard decisions, whether that is firing somebody whether that is completely changing the direction of a project, even if it's been going on for a long time, they are able to make those hard decisions and they don't sit on it for too long. Good leaders are constantly learning. The ones that I know, they're always consuming. They're reading, they're listening to podcasts, they're listening to books. um, And that is something that I brought into my life. Uh, My goal for 2023 was to read 25 books. So that's like a book every two weeks. Uh, I'm almost there. I think I'm going to hit 20 soon, but it's been really transformative in terms of what's going into my brain and how I'm I'm learning. Some of it has been fiction, some of it nonfiction, but it it really makes such a difference to constantly be seeking a, a different perspective. And to that, good leaders are also looking for different perspectives and they've got great peers that they can turn to. And they've just built a, an incredible network of people that can help them 
fill the gaps whenever there's something that they can't solve on their own or they need somebody to lean on or they need a favor. You know, at the top, there's a lot of favors going back and forth. And to build that strong network um, is really, really helpful in the success of a business. Yeah, I, I believe in the strong network and also reading a lot. I, I like to read or listen to audiobooks because I'm driving a lot. And it's really changed my perspective on business as a whole. And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had started reading this kind of stuff when I was younger because I think, you know, I would have been able to contribute a little bit more to some of the businesses I've been involved in, mm-hmm. um, having ideas from these other places, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, And, you know, one thing I always think about, too, is as far as making decisions, like people are so nervous to make decisions, but you have to think about like there are really big companies out there who put a lot of time and money into things like pharmaceutical companies or um, or equipment companies. And they put a lot of time into a project and they have no problem cutting it. Even if it's close to the end, they make a decision, you know what, it's just not going to work or we're going to table this, or we're going to come back to it, or we're just going to cut it off completely. So, you know, you, you have to know that it's not necessarily a mistake, but sometimes it's it's what's best for the business and you just have to do it. You just have to make the decision. Absolutely. And, and I think to that point too, leaders are always seeing the opportunities, right? So instead of saying, oh gosh, this didn't work. It was such a failure thing. Okay. What, what did we learn from this and how are we going to take that forward? And that is huge. And that was, you know, in a lot of my reading has been such a mindset shift that just because something didn't work or because I'm in a really tough era of my business, I am constantly learning. And so how do I take that learning and turn it into something different? How do I push the business forward? How do I push my client's business forward? And so there's always, something there. And the quicker you can get into that mindset, the more successful you're going to be across the board. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things like, for me, that's, that's made a huge shift is, is thinking, you know what, this doesn't, even if this doesn't work out, I've been able to do some cool things with some mm-hmm. awesome people to like, you know, enhance my knowledge and learning experience. So, you know, I, I work on a bunch of little, little projects all the time with different people. Some are successful. This has been very successful. The podcast has been awesome. Equestrian Business Women is great. Um, but, you know, there's other things that I, I've done that I've been like, ah, oh, that wasn't so successful, but I've learned from it. And mm-hmm. I think that if you can shift into that mindset, I think that that puts you further ahead in the game. Like, and it's also a good resume builder, like to do do different things, you know, to, it shows that you're putting yourself out there. I mean, I think more and more companies are looking at, you know, things that you've done in the other column versus, you know, oh, I worked here and these were my skill sets here, you know, like gaps aren't as big of a deal anymore um, Mm -hmm. in your working uh, history. And, you know, like if you've done some really cool things in your others column that, you know, I think that, 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 can make you stand out from other people as well. Absolutely. And I, I like what you said about I've gotten to do really cool things. And I think sometimes we get fearful that if we screw up, we're never going to get to do cool things again. But invert that, right? I did cool things once. I can definitely do, do cool things again. And that is just such a helpful mindset because for so long, I was so afraid of, of it all falling apart and I'll, I'll never get it back. I already did it right? I did it once. And the more that you do it, the easier it becomes and the easier, you know, the more failures you have, you're able to overcome that and say, all right, let me go do cool stuff again. Um, and so I, I think I really love that. And there was an anecdote I, I heard, I, I can't remember where I heard it from, but it was an entrepreneur and her dad every day at the end of the day was, how did you fail today? And so it wasn't like how, you know, what, what were you good at? What did you win at today? It said, how do you fail? And to me, that was just such a powerful anecdote to say, okay, what, what did I not thrive at today? And how has it made me stronger? And what's my opportunity to be better? And I just think that that's such a helpful mindset, because the more you fail, the first one sucks, right? You're like, really disappointed. You're like, this is hard and terrible. And then the more you do it, you're like, it's okay. It's it's no big deal. And that has helped me in business. It has helped me in life. It has helped me in my riding, right? Um, I have two young horses. So we're failing constantly. <laughs> and it, just makes it, it makes it a lot easier to get over it and to move on and say, this is the path forward. And this is part of the process. 
Well, and, and even if you're not failing and you're still doing good and it's great, it still can be hard, right? Like mm-hmm. Jen, think about when we first started doing this podcast. Oh my God, my palms would sweat. My heart was beating. I didn't <laughs> want to talk into the microphone, you know, and it turned out great no matter what, but it was still hard. You know, yeah. it wasn't even a failure and it was still hard. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we had such a successful first summit in 2019 and, you know, we with that feedback, we were going to go bigger and better and have this huge thing in Las Vegas in 2020, in April 2020. And, you know, when we had to cancel, like, okay, fine. It was, we had to because the whole world was shutting down, but it did feel like a huge failure. And it's felt like a failure ever since of not being able to do what we did the first time again. Right. And, I think we finally come to the realization that it doesn't have to be that again. It can be something else. It can be different. It can still be really useful and helpful and we can have a good time doing it. Um, even if we're not doing the same thing that people liked the first time. Um, so, but that's, you know, every year people are like, well, when are you having a summit again? I'm like, I don't know because You know, that was before I had two kids. That was, you know, I was younger and had a lot more (laughs) energy and I was willing to work until 11 o'clock every night. And now I'm not so sure that I I can do that. And um, I'm not in that phase of life. So I like the idea of, um, you know, even if something has changed, it doesn't mean it's a failure. 100%. Absolutely. And do you think, um, and I think I know the answer to this, but can you teach people how to be good leaders? 100%. Absolutely. And I, I've i always kind of been a natural leader just because I'm the firstborn and bossy and not afraid <laughs> to speak my mind. So that's kind of always been in me. But I have had some really wonderful people over my career who have helped me refine my skills and be even better at what I do. And so I think absolutely anybody can learn to be a good leader. And there's so many resources out there, right? Listening to books and reading books, and then going to somebody that you are just drawn to and saying, hey, what do you do that makes you so good at what what you you do, right? Um, What kind of leaders did you learn from? And so I, I think Everybody can be taught to be a good leader. Be a good leader. You have to be willing to listen. Um, you're gonna get some hard feedback, and it's going to hurt sometimes. Uh, one of my favorite bosses, who's an incredible leader, uh, gave me some feedback, and I just bawled. I just like I had to go for like a walk around the building because I I was crying so hard and <laughs> I couldn't breathe. But it was some of the most transformative feedback I ever got in my life. And that was to be a little less emotional in meetings. I had been in a meeting with a VP and she was saying things that I didn't agree with. And my face could not contain itself. And I was a junior employee and she was the VP of a really big company. And it was super disrespectful. And so it's not that I was wrong, right? My facts were correct, but it was my response to that, which was incorrect. And with that, you know, I think there's room to express yourself in a leadership position but you have to be pretty mindful of when and how you express yourself and if it's actually worth it to express yourself with emotion in a way. And usually it's not right. Um, You know, I am a very expressive and a very emotional person, but when it comes to business and when you want people to really hear what you're saying, you have to take the emotion out of it and you have to tactfully communicate what you're trying to say in a way that the other person can receive it. And if your emotions are too big or you're too expressive all of that is going to go away and you're not going to get your point across and you're actually just going to look a little bit like a lunatic. You're going to look a little unhinged or you're going to look disrespectful. And so that was so hard. I I thought about it for weeks. I, I still, right, it's been almost, gosh, almost 10 years since I received that feedback. And it is something that so clearly sticks with me and was such a transformative moment. But I needed to be receptive to that. I respected her a ton. And I knew that she was giving me that feedback because she knew I could be better. And so surrounding yourself with people who will invest in you in that way is is huge. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. I've had some really uncomfortable conversations with people that I wanted to learn from. Another kind of funny anecdote is that I had this spin instructor that she was amazing and would like get me out of bed 
at 8 a.m. on a Saturday when I was like in my early 20s in New York City. So like clearly I had been out very late the night before. And she was just so inspiring that I'd get up at 8 a.m. and, and take her spin class. And I, I loved her so much. And so I kind of stalked her for a long time. And then I got all my courage together and I said, can I take you for a coffee? I really want to learn from you. And to this day, 10 years later, she is one of my best friends. She was at my wedding. I still, she's still a mentor of mine, helped me get Avenue Equestrian off the ground. And she gives me some tough love. We had a call last week and she handed it to me. And I was like, sugar, you're so right. (laughs) And I have to listen to you. Uh, But she's made me better. And there's a lot of uncomfortable moments, but she, I know that she loves me and has my best interest at heart. And so it's things like that, that if you want to be a good leader, you can absolutely learn it. You have to be so invested in yourself and so invested in getting that skill in order to be uncomfortable and make it through that uncomfortability to, to come out on the other side. I, you know, I've also had that feedback about like needing to watch my emotions because I can be mm. a pretty emotional person person and maybe have a little bit thicker skin because my mm. emotion is to cry. <laughs> when I'm angry or <laughs> frustrated yeah. and you know so like you could see the tears welling up when I'm like mad about something so yeah. I have had that feedback from um, a boss in the past as well but um, I think that you also like helping surround yourself with good people who are going to to give you the feedback and kind of um, help you along is great and the sooner you can do that in life I think the better it is right Perfect. Uh, because for me, it's taking me, okay, when I was a kid, I got awards for being a leader. I never saw myself as a leader. I actually saw myself as an introvert for a very long time, which Jen <laughs> will laugh about because I'm clearly not an introvert, but I always thought like I was shy when I was a kid and, you know, but they, I, I did get awards for being a leader, but I didn't see that in myself, right? Like I've never, I've always seen myself as a hard worker and I put my head down and I do all the things, but I never saw myself as a leader until I started learning about what leadership is and mm-hmm. how to hone those skills and what people look for in those skills. And I was like, oh, wow, that actually is me. And also yeah. I am the first child and I'm the family manager and you know, like all yeah. the things that come along with <laughs> yeah. that. So yeah, I, I've, I've had that since I was a child, but I think that the more you can recognize that in yourself and start honing it earlier, the better you are, you'll be, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I think everybody has qualities of leadership in them and it's not always the big boisterous person who's, you know, commanding the room. There's other, you know, quieter leaders too. You don't necessarily have to be an extrovert to be a leader. I think that's kind of visually and what we, what we see, but I know, I know plenty of leaders that have kind of quietly led and, and that's where leadership style is, is very different, right? Each person, each person has skill set, And so it's all about defining your own leadership style, which takes some time. You gotta, you gotta try it on for a little bit. And I've definitely tried different styles over time. And I feel pretty confident with where I've, I've landed now. Um, but it's all practice and you have to be willing to stretch yourself in that way. Yeah. Yeah, you have to realize a lot of different things um, about yourself in order to figure out what kind of leader that that you want to be. Talking about leadership and leadership styles um, and you working with a lot of different businesses, what kind of challenging feedback have you had to give to different businesses? So one of the most challenging pieces of feedback is telling my clients when their product doesn't match their target audience. So sometimes people come in and they have an idea for a product that they're very passionate about and they think it's going to fit with an audience and it doesn't, right? And so usually what that, how that manifests itself is I'm putting in so much effort and I'm not seeing any sales or, you know, I built this beautiful website and no one is shopping and I've invested all of this time and I still, people aren't engaging with me or my content. And so that tells me that the product is not matching who they think their target audience is. And a lot of times they create the product first and then think that people are just going to show up for it. And that's really not how it happens, right? And so you can create the product, but then you have to get really specific around who is going to want that. And a lot of times my clients, they are their target audience and they're an audience of one. So it's something that they're really passionate about. You can't always build a business that way. We see a lot of success stories that come out of that, right? But I think that's a little bit of a, of a fallacy. 
you actually need to go out there and say, okay, what, what does an audience need? Or what is a big hole in the market? And how can I fill that with something that I am passionate about? And so, so that's really difficult, right? When somebody feels really close to their product and you have to tell them that, A, the product might not be the right thing or that they've not been communicating with their right audience. And, and that's one's really hard just because it, it hit kind of close to home. Um, another piece of tough feedback is telling them to fire somebody. And that can be really hard because for people who have hired, who are new to hiring and firing, it feels really stressful. And I actually uh, will help my clients. I'll come on board to fire people for them just because it, it takes it out of it, right? So because usually it's a really small team, they've gotten really close. I'm this third party leadership lady coming in and, and I can play the bad guy, which is very valuable for some businesses. And I, I come in and I'll, I'll fire people or I'll have tough conversations. I'll do negotiations and kind of be the hardball in that regard. And it saves, it preserves the relationships for, excuse me, the business owners. Um, so there's a lot of value in that, right? You don't always have to do everything really hard if it's not going to better the business, but coaching people through firing especially their first firing is, is really challenging and it can be really emotional for everybody. Um, something else that is really hard to deliver, especially for small businesses is that they, they have to invest money and we all kind of know that, but when there are no dollars to invest and you're hitting, you're butting up against a wall where organic growth is not going to support the other investments you need to make in the, in the business and you need to find money from somewhere else is just really crushing and I've not found a good solve for it. So, you know, generally if I, if a business comes to me and they need, they have no budget to really support growth, I will point them in a different direction just because I'm not the best fit for them because it's really hard, right? When you feel like you've exhausted all of your options and the, the last thing is you've got to reach a new target audience through paid ads, or you need to hire a social media manager, or you need to hire somebody different, or you even need to invest in more products. That's just a really, really difficult conversation because money can be emotional. And when you've already invested everything you have into a business and you don't have a good solution other than to take out a loan, uh, that's hard, right? And it feels like you're crushing someone's dreams. And I'm, I'm always there to support them and brainstorm and get really creative. But sometimes you do yourself a disservice by trying to grow organically constantly. And so that's one of Something that I've learned over the last couple of years is uh, keep a budget for for investing in generally marketing and advertising, just because that's the best way to to reach a new audience. But if you're putting everything into your product and everything into straight operations, you're you're gonna struggle a little bit. Hmm. Do you believe in that old uh, saying that marketing should be? I forget the number now, but like eight to ten percent of your um, Profit should go back into marketing. Yeah, I, I do. I don't have a specific number in mind, but just more and more because when you when you reach your early adopters, right? They're excited about the product, they're gonna buy it, and you hope that they'll come back and buy it again soon. But it depends on the product, right? And after a while, you need a new audience. And you could do collaborations, you can do email list signups, you could do all those sorts of things. But again, at a certain point, you're going to get saturated by the people who already know you. And now you need to get really creative around how you can reach new audiences. So even if you go out and do the work yourself, like going to, let's say, for a clothing company to go out and do a pop-up at a horse show, there's a lot of expense associated with that. You're almost better off doing Facebook and Instagram ads because you can target your demographic a little bit better. You can get a much wider reach, right? So people think that by doing things and taking it on themselves, they're saving money. When in reality, if they spent it in a different way or spent that time in a different way, because it's all about at the early stages, growing your audience to be as big as possible. That's how you get the revenue. That's how you get the traffic, right? You know, a lot of clients come to me if they have an e-commerce store and they say, I I'm not making any money. And we look at the traffic on the website. Typically, conversion rates for people who actually purchase are about 1% to 3%. So if you have a 1,000 people visiting your site, one to maybe three people are going to make a purchase. And that's not enough, right? So you need a ton of traffic coming to your site. How do we generate that traffic, right? And then that's where we start to get into some of those marketing activities that need to happen to drive people there because at the early stages, it's a volume game. You need enough volume to get people to convert. And that's where 
we just come up against it sometimes that they're trying to do it without a marketing budget. Yeah. And what lessons have you learned from working outside the equine industry? So I think some of the, the best lessons that I've learned is communication skills. And so being able to effectively get my point across. Again, I had some really great advocates and mentors uh, back at, even to my IBM days where they would read over my emails or they would give me constructive criticism around how I was communicating with people and mm-hmm. even down to verbal communication as well. When I get excited, I talk really fast. So it's a giant goal of mine and I hope I've done an okay job today to slow down <laughs> and effectively get my, my point across. And I think that is something that's a little bit lacking in some of the businesses that I work with the amount of emails that I revise. And, and that's something else that I do for my client is when we've got big deals going out, where we're trying to be a little bit tough. We're taking out words like, Oh, Hey, I just was wondering if no, I need mm-hmm. this report. Yep. And when they're negotiating, do you think that we could maybe do 10,000? No, my budget is $10,000 and this is all I can spend. Take it or leave it. And it's not to be rude, but it's to be direct and it's to effectively get your point across and to get people to take you seriously. And, and so that don't you think to be clear, right? The, yeah. the number of times where people are frustrated because expectations have not been set on both sides. Yeah. It saves so much heartache if you can just be clear from the start. So communication is something that I, I truly value from my early, early days. Um, we talked about taking the emotion out of things and I even just coached my husband on this the other day. Um, he has to let somebody go from his company and he's, he's the sweetest person in the world and it breaks his heart when he has to do it. And so I was like, here's what you say, four sentences and, and it's done and not to be cool or to be mean, but, but that's it. You don't owe anybody any additional explanation and to sit in that. Why are you firing me? I love you so much. Sorry. You got to go kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. you know, in the long run, it only makes us feel better kind of because we still don't leave that conversation feeling good. So just yeah. keep it short, short and sweet. Um, having a solid contract that this is, huge. This yeah. kind of goes back to in the equestrian industry, we're all so passionate. We're excited. We're finally like we're adult horse girls hanging out and doing cool stuff. And we want to collaborate and do stuff. And so we'll do a lot of these like handshake deals or back of the napkin deals. And it can be really rough if things unravel. So to have a yeah. contract doesn't, doesn't mean you don't trust your partner, right? If you have a contract and everything goes great. Amazing. You don't need it. If things become challenging, which they more, more often than not will, you have something to fall back on. And again, you have those very clear expectations around who's doing what. And it just, again, it'll save the relationship in the long term. Um, Something else that I think is really important, and we kind of talked about this in the beginning, is to be revenue focused. Businesses outside of the equestrian industry, it's all about the revenue. Whether they are a private company or a publicly owned company, you have to make money because the dream dies if the company's not making money. So even yeah. if you're passionate about it, and even if it's not something you're in it for the money, you can't continue to do it if you are not making money. And so I don't want to take the fun out of it or just make it all about money, but you can't do it if you don't have money. So I think mm-hmm. that's just something really, really important. Um, and the last thing I think that I, I really take away from my early career is looking for opportunities everywhere. I think a lot of people get hyper-focused on just like, oh, I, I have to do this one thing versus you know, and this is part of my job and and my skill set and expertise, but I'm always looking for ways that we can make more money, collaborate together, build a relationship, come up with crazy ideas. Sometimes they go nowhere. And so I just think that it's important as a business person to always be looking for opportunities. And then you could decide if that opportunity is is right or not. But uh, saying yes to to some more things, I, I think is really important. Yeah. I think the contract thing is so important and like you said people kind of lead with their heart instead of their head in this industry and it gets us in really big trouble and that's something that I've always you know tried to impart on people that I've worked with maybe that have gone and started their own company or you know they if they ask me for advice that's one of the main things I say is get everything in writing like don't do it over you can start the conversation over a phone call don't end it on a phone call it ends up you like you have to have you have to have proof and a way to go back to a conversation in case one of you didn't understand it the way you did you know 
people come away from a conversation thinking two different things sometimes. And if you're not putting it in writing and if you're not coming back to them and saying, this is what I believe we, we agreed on and making sure, you know, that you have somebody's signature and that you have some sort of legal recourse if something goes horribly wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, you know, it still shocks me to this day how many people, um, like don't do bills of sale on horses and I and like how many amazingly smart you know multimillionaires buy and sell horses and don't know like what they're paying for it or they right, just right. Wi- they just wire money without even thinking about it and I'm like that that's the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life but <laughs> it's you know it, um I think that's so important and and to really, like you said, like if you don't, if the money isn't there, you're not going to be able to make the passion happen. And if you're not being responsible and thinking about the business and how to protect yourself, then the money won't be there either. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, it's been really great speaking with you and learning more about what you do and the amazing advice that you've had. I think people will take away so much from this conversation and um, can definitely reach out to you if they have further questions. Uh, But at the end of each episode, we ask the same four questions to each guest and Connor starts with the first. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Be direct. I like it across the board. Yeah. Just women need to be more direct and uh, it'll make a big difference everywhere. Personal and professional. The road is paved with a lot of dead squirrels. We're being (laughs) indecisive. (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Gratitude. It's something that will transform your life if you sit down and just be thankful for what you have every day. Uh, there's a lot of psychology behind it, and I preach it constantly. And it's something that I practice regularly. And <clears throat> what's come out of that for me has been nothing sort of amazing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you do that too, Jen. Yeah. I know. And yeah. Yeah. It's something that um, when I look back at how I was like 20, 25 years ago and constantly comparing myself to other people and what, like how much work I'm putting in versus how much work someone else is putting in. And I think it just, it, it ruins you, you know, and when you're constantly comparing yourself and if you can just be focused on what you do and thankful for what you get out of it, it's makes a huge difference. For sure. What's your favorite horse movie? I don't have a good answer for this. I've been trying to think of it. I'm really not a movie person. Uh, I can't sit still long enough to, to watch a movie. I also get a little scared of watching horse movies in case something bad happens to the horse. Movie. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So, Which is know. like half the time, right? Yeah. Most of those I horse know. movies. I just, I've been uh, bitten by that too many times, so I kind of opt out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite book? Horse book? No. Okay. <laughs> And who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? Okay, I have four, uh, just because I get to work with some really incredible women. Um, So one is Bethany Lee. So you might know her from my equestrian style. She is an incredible businesswoman and a client of mine for the equestrian podcast. And just working alongside her for the last two years has been incredible. And so I think she would be amazing. Um, Another is Caitlin Christofferson. So she is the COO of GSS, the agency. They do some really, you know her? Yeah, she came to our networking brunch this year. Oh, fantastic. She is lovely. She's another client of mine. I'm so thrilled to be working with her and her team. Um, They're just a really great group of girls. And Caitlin has done some really cool stuff with the business. And we're uh, we're making some big moves for 2024. So I'm just like thrilled to be in in her orbit. Um, Another is Emily Bentz from Maybabes. So she created some really innovative riding tights and breeches and just has such a cool perspective on business. And she is doing incredibly well, but then also so mindful of how she's creating all of her products and is one that like, if it's going to take a little longer, she's okay with that. So I think there's so much to, to learn from her and what she's done. 
Uh, very similarly, Megan Cameron Muscarella from Solid Citizen Equestrian. Um, she is someone who is beyond passionate about everything that she does and is creating some really beautiful pieces. And it's been very hard. Um, and she's made a commitment to have her pieces designed and created here in the U.S., which I think is really incredible. And along with that has had come some really challenging decisions she's had to make. So following her story along online has been amazing. I know that she's going to have some really beautiful products to come out very soon, but um, her story and everything that she does is just really powerful and inspiring. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we, love multiple, a- we love multiple guests. <laughs> like, yeah, Thank you. Yeah. And we had so much fun speaking with you today and we really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. I really enjoyed talking to Kelly. Um, and I think what really stood out about her for me was really practical advice. And um, she also was able to like give examples from her own life and business. And um, I think she's very, like she said, you know, talking about how important communication is. She's very direct. She seems very no nonsense but also understanding in, you know, how much time and effort and love people put into their businesses and, you know, being able to help them and help them become better leaders um, is something that really shined through when she talks about it. Yeah, I felt like she was so business savvy in all aspects, very well spoken. And like you said, direct, but I do think she has compassion for her clients and Mm -hmm. has the ability to um, help them in a lot of tough situations. I like that she talked about stepping in and being able to help fire somebody if that's what her client needs. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a great service actually to, <laughs> to have, you know, and, and to make maybe your life a little bit easier. Cause uh, I think there's so much anxiety around um, making decisions like that. So sure. I, I really think that, that that's like, was really interesting. I love the point that she had about making contracts. Um, mm. And one thing I wanted to say about that, piece of it is that like the contract part is so important but also make sure like you're not just willy-nilly making contracts that you don't realize that you're making i have a i know somebody who got in a situation where in a bar wrote down on a cocktail napkin like Mm. i give you half of the business and was held to that in the end because it was the written contract so you know (laughs) like (laughs) that like popped into my head and i was like yes it's very important but it's also very important for you to be conscious about making promises or you know what you say to people that they can actually hold you to because there are verbal contracts too yeah yeah no i think (laughs) yeah doing it the right way and probably doing it with some advice from a lawyer is helpful (laughs) as well you know that you're covering yourself and protecting your business um is really important uh I also really liked, um, you know, the leadership aspects and what makes a good leader. Um, I feel like not a lot of people have that, especially naturally. Yeah. There aren't a, a lot of natural leaders. And so people have to work hard at it. And if you're put it in a leadership position, what does that mean? And how can you be good at it? And, um, and really have people respect you and want to work with you and support the business and, you know, not just follow you blindly, but to, you know, work with you as a colleague. So I think a lot of her advice to that end um, was really helpful. Oh, definitely. And I think that um, the big part of the, the leadership talk um, it was talking about communication. And I do have to say that uh, my company had brought in um, a leadership coach for mm. our sales team. And wow. w- yeah, and one of the things that he really stressed upon is um, ta- when you're writing emails or talking to people, not saying just and not 
um, like opening up qualifying your yes exactly yeah. like like you can be direct and that like I rewrite emails all the time because I'm like hey mm. I just want it I'm like no 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 like if I'm writing something to you I might say it but like if I'm writing a right. professional email I really take the time to go through and be direct about what I want because yes. even though I want to seem like I'm friendly I do think people appreciate you getting to the point and also you yes. need to not be able to leave a window open where they can ignore it or they yeah. can, you know, change a negotiation. So I yeah. do think that was like a really important point that she made about communication. For sure. Especially in this day and age when like, I mean, I have one, two, three, four, five, no, maybe six email addresses across all the things that I do. Right. I get probably over 500 emails a day. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, and a lot of them are like sales stuff that I just automatically delete. But the ones that are related to business and the ones that I'm going to, you know, respond to, like you said, are the ones that have like a clear point. Like, right. if you want me, if you need an answer right away, you need to tell me what you want, when you need it by. And like the exact parameters. And that's yeah. what I try and do a lot when I'm emailing people is especially like if it's, you know, uh, trying to schedule a meeting or a phone call. Like I don't say, when are you available? Right. I give my exact times yes. on that I have available this week. And if those work, great, pick one. But, yeah. you know, like I people just don't have time a lot of a lot of the time to like be emailing back and forth. And I think right. so much can get lost in translation. So yeah, the communication is a, such a big part of it. And, um, and that goes with, you know, if you're a leader communicating with the people below you and making it very clear on what your expectations are, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> like don't, you know, say, I mean, sometimes I say this because it's true and I say, like, it's no rush. Think about it and get back to me. Right. But for a lot of things, I, I give a deadline. Yeah. And I expect it to be delivered by that deadline. Yeah. And and honestly, that's what this coach said to everybody, like about meetings, about emails, about your time. Your time is very valuable. So you mm. need to, you know, not just be like, oh, well, whenever works for you or Friday morning give them times mm -hmm. so that you can put it in your calendar. It's a definite and then move on. And I think like you and I do that when we schedule the podcast, we're like, okay, these are the times you and I are available. This is the time, you know, we can give you this time and this time. Maybe it's multiple times that we give somebody to choose mm -hmm. from, but at least we have an idea ahead of our, in our minds for our schedules, for our own schedules of what else is going on that, okay, you know, potentially on Monday or Friday, I might have the podcast at 1130. So I yeah. have to, you know, make sure I leave space for that. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I think it alleviates a lot of stress, right? And right. a lot of going back and forth. Right. And I think, um, you know, you say your time is valuable, but I think by doing that, you show that you understand that their time is valuable as well. Uh, yeah. And that absolutely. is, I think, part of being a good leader is understanding and, um, you know, like treating people the way you want to be treated to an yeah. extent. And um, if you're making a team, you know, showing that you understand their position and, and that you want them to have the same level of understanding. Yeah, you know, I, I was really interesting. You know, I, I love to listen to podcasts. And um, when we were talking about, you know, the meeting things, there was a whole podcast about like, are, are meetings necessary? Or is there a way to mm -hmm. make your meetings like more effective for people so that you don't waste their time? And I just found that like a very interesting topic because I do think meetings are important. But yes. at the same time, sometimes like um, if they're not led well, they are huge time sucks right oh absolutely <laughs> like unless it's really truly like we're setting aside an hour to brainstorm and just be creative like if you 
are going into a meeting or if you've called a meeting and you don't have a set agenda, like you are completely wasting my time. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we should know exactly what we're talking about, what we're getting done, what we're trying to accomplish. Like, you know, that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I have so many meetings and it's like, they take up so much of my work day and you know, I can't let them go on forever. So. Right. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. It was about like the psychology of meetings and who's it really mm. for? Is it for mm-hmm. the employees or is it for the employer or the, the manager or the boss? Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting because, you know, like I know companies where they have a meeting every single day at Ugh. at like. 4:45 to like wrap up the work day and I'm like I understand you're only blocking 15 minutes but like you know people are trying to like finish what they need to finish and I don't know I just see that to me that seems like a bit excessive <laughs> right every day, oh, every day. <laughs> right? so anyway yeah that was um it was so it was really great. I mean, I really appreciated everything that she had to to talk about. And I thought that was a really excellent episode and resources for people um, to, to like listen back to and, and pick out, um, you know, things that you could work on. She gave really great tips. Yeah, for sure. We're going to wrap up today and you can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go practice being a leader. <laughs>